morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you too. We are in the letter to the Romans, chapter 1. But before I begin, the hymns rock, man. Just, you youngins, learn those hymns. Memorize them. We're going to try to get to 32, verse 32. We will stand and read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. And I like to hold the Bible up when I read the verses to you so that you'll know uh, that I'm reading from the Scripture and not just making it up. If you would stand, please. And as a reminder, if you have difficulty standing, prolonged standing, anything like that, feel free to stay seated. And that, that includes when, it's, when we're singing also. Uh, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because... Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Please be seated. Damage Report, that's the title. How bad is it? After man fell into sin... How bad was the damage? Well, Paul's going to talk about that. The man at his best is, is not good enough for God. Fallen man, sinful man, does not deserve a place in heaven, and which is the meaning of grace. Grace is kindness that's not deserved. And it comes from God. It is the nature of fallen man to think otherwise. To think that, well, I'm not so bad, and on and on goes the, the lines, and, and they're wrong. It's not what the Bible teaches. This um, is made clear by Isaiah, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. But there's more to the story than just how awful man is compared to a holy and righteous God. How pure he is uh, also includes how loving he is. In Romans chapter 3, when we get there, we'll talk about this verse, of course. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we read in the Gospels, those who are well, Jesus said, have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, baked into that is we're all sick. And the only ones that think they're too righteous for a physician, a savior, are the ones who are duped, who are not willing to see things from God's perspective. Again, Romans 10, verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord should shall be saved. I mean, that just opens the gates wide, the gates of heaven. But, Jesus said, let's be realistic about this. 
You're born a sinner, and the damage is so extensive, you must be born again. Spiritually speaking, John 3, verse 7, Do not be amazed that I said to you, that singles out all of us, you must be born again. And so here Paul, writing to these Christians, starting out with just, Hey, it's me, Paul, can't wait to see you. And then he starts moving into... Uh, verse 16, where he just it ramps up. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but it is the power of God to salvation. And then he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The just shall live by faith. That's old school theology. That's why he's quoting the Old Testament. And now, he moves into the 18th verse, and from this verse on, he just lets it fly. He's, it's sort of verses 16 and 17, as he's writing them, they're, they're, they're stoking him. They're motivating him in his righteousness. And it doesn't stop until he runs out of ink. Verse 18 now, looking at Romans chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He begins here, he said, there's no happy ending for those without Christ. There's no happy ending for the one that is opposed to God's Son, or the Son of God, or God the Son. However you want to phrase it, it's the same thing. God's wrath is not baseless, it's not random, it's not excessive, it is not an outburst of anger. It is justice applied for those who did not want the grace you don't want the grace, you will get the justice. And, uh, you, you, you know, what, what should we expect from God when you have people thumbing their nose at him or trying to create God in their image instead of receiving God for who he is? And so it is a settled and just and determined response of a good and righteous God towards obnoxious sinners, which I once was. And so are probably most of you. you. Give a little space there, because some people are raised in Christian homes, and they just love God from the beginning, and they just keep going. And uh, that's rare, but it does happen, and it, it makes me envious of them. Uh, but God's wrath is the final judgment against impenitence. Those who refuse to own who they are according to God's word. Now, God dispatched his prophet Jonah to ancient Nineveh, a city in what is modern-day Iraq. And we read simple things from that profound prophet's word. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. It is said to have take, took three days to walk through the city of Nineveh at that time. It was so large. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Shortest sermon in the scripture, you wish you got sermons like that today. <laughs> of course, they repented. That's all it took. Just that he just held up before them the wrath of God. Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. That applies to every single generation from the time Jesus said that. If the Ninevites, the Gentile Ninevites, 
can receive a short sermon from a Hebrew prophet and repent because of their sin, then what is your excuse? When you have one greater than Jonah, you have the Christ. Damage report, how bad is it? We've just been torpedoed by sin. How bad is the damage? Can it be repaired? Will there be survivors? What's going to happen to this torpedoed human race? Well, again, looking back at verse 16, the power of God to salvation. God is interested in saving people. So interested, death was involved on his part. In verse 17, the, righteous, the righteousness of God is revealed. And then here, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed too. And it's justified to God's allies, divine care. To his enemies, divine wrath. It is part of the good news that there is bad news and it can be avoided. And so let's make lost souls aware, not only of God's power and righteousness, but God's wrath also. Don't think you're going to get away with it if you're outside of Christ. When God says that he will judge sinners, he's not bearing false witness. He's not lying. He's telling it just like it is. When we get to the second chapter of Rome, Paul will say, In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Because there's nothing hidden from him. It's, it's, it's not sane to try to hide something from an omnipotent God. And by definition, God should mean to the individual someone who is all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at the same time. He is eternal from eternity past, and he will be eternal for et into eternity future. The world may have other definitions of God, their own self-made definition, definitions, and we reject them, and hopefully we'll be given a chance to correct them. This section gives us all that Paul saw in Corinth, outside his window or in the marketplace, when he gets to talking about the behavior of, de of depraved humanity, it's, it's like he's, again, looking out the window. But it applies to anywhere on earth, in some form, you're going to find these behaviors. Granted, in some, it's going to be worse than others. If God's instructions are ignored, then hell's instructions will be embraced by default. You don't have to approve of this. You don't have to sign off. You don't have to say, I reject the scripture. What does hell have to say? I'll take that. No one in their right mind would take that approach. But still, that's where they end up. And just ask Adam and Eve. Well, Adam, what was the alternative to just simply following the instructions to keep your hands off that tree? What was the outcome? I don't think they had a clue. All they had to do was obey. But when their son Cain killed their son Abel, they understood. Against all ungodliness, not most of it, all of it. The ungodly are those who live and behave outside of God's influence. You know, today we have this silly little title, I am an influencer. Whatever that means. Well, I'm under the influence of God. And I prefer that. 
it takes all I have to try to make it work, to be useful to God. But I think it's worth it. And that's what our, where our word worship comes from. Worship means worthiness. God is worth it. And it also has a little asterisk with a footnote or an endnote. And no one else is. God is worthy. He's on another level. Now, of course, we have various levels of worth, you know. But God is on the highest level. The zenith, the pinnacle, the utmost. He says here, revealed from heaven. Well, men claim they want to hear from God. Do you really? Would you really want to hear from God? Before I was a Christian, I was, I'd be afraid if God appeared before me. Well, now I wouldn't. I would embrace him. I'd be like Mary Magdalene. I'd lock on to him. So, you know, love cast out fear like that. Decent citizens of the world can still be indecent to God. It's not enough to say I'm nice enough to my neighbor. How do you treat your creator? Do you even believe he's there? You believe what he has to say? The Bible makes no attempt to prove that God exists. It'd be a silly exercise. It begins with that declaration in the big, I almost said in the big inning. <laughs> in the beginning, God created. It, it, it's self-evident and therefore a settled deal. I'm not going to try to prove to you I'm standing right here in front of you. If you, if you. if you can't admit that to yourself, then, you know, you've got other issues. I, you know, I like to say, what do, you, what do you say to a person that will not admit that water is wet? It's the end of the argument. There's no, there's no further discussion on that topic. I mean, you have someone that's delusional or up to no good or trying to sell you something. The person who says that they don't believe that God exists, to that God bluntly re replies, you are a fool. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, you get it again in case you missed it the first time. The person who says that God does not exist, the Bible bluntly says, is a fool. You know, the root cause of atheism I believe, is dissatisfaction and dishonesty about God. Not that, you know, they're so intelligent, they can't make up their mind. Uh, it's, it's, it, it, they're not innocent. Those who say, I don't believe that, the, that God exists. There's not innocence there, nor is there true intent. There's an abuse of intelligence in that, with that. There's a lie about it. It's not that man cannot believe God. It's those who don't will not believe in God. And largely, you know, because they are offended by life, they hate life, or they think they're in Whatever, there are other little there are tentacles that reach out from such a position, and they're all false. I stand by the statement, and I think you should say to an atheist, if someone boasts to you about their atheism, tell I don't believe you exist as an atheist. I believe you exist, but I think your atheism, you're lying to yourself, and you're lying to me, and you know it. I always add, you know, the old saying, no atheists in foxholes, because that sort of, that, you know, to face artillery is to, <laughs> is to cry out to God. You might remember the Gulf War, where they dropped so many bombs on the Iraqis entrenched in the desert that they couldn't wait to surrender. They were traumatized. So 
Yeah, so much for atheism. And the unrighteousness of men. Well, as a result of being outside God's influence, ergo ungodly, these continue, uh, they're not right. Because they're outside of his influence, they're not right with other people. Ungodliness disregards God. Unrighteousness disregards people. Sometimes they're very select, you know, it's form of nepotism. I can be very nice to my family members. You, you, you know, take mobsters, you know, they can love their own family while they're out killing everybody else. So, you know, God sees through all these things. So, just to review it very quickly, ungodliness chiefly is sinfulness or a sinful disregard for God. Unrighteousness, consequently, is sinful disregard against man. Man's first sin separated him from God. The second recorded sin, if you, once you, you know, well, you, know you get into little pockets here, because Adam lied right away, you know. You know, <laughs> you know, it was that woman you gave me. You know, just threw Eve right under the bus. And many men have continued to do that since that time. Uh, but uh, just, you know, it's, it's, so the first sin was separation from God. But the second one was man from man when Cain killed his brother Abel. And there you have the Ten Commandments. Actually, the first table of the Ten Commandments deals with sin against God directly. No graven images, no other gods, remember the Sabbath. But then the second table comes along and says, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. And, and now it's dealing with people. And so there you have uh, ungodliness and unrighteousness together. He, co- he continues here in verse 18, who suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Now, unrighteous suppression of truth is ungodly, of course. Proverbs 14.34, righteousness exalts a nation, sin is a reproach to any people. Why would someone suppress the truth? Because they have other ambitions. This is the news media. Mainstream news media always suppresses truth because truth interferes with what they are trying to get, which is the evil that they want to do. In the days of the prophet Jeremiah, there he was trying to save the northern kingdom by simply preaching God's word to the people who were supposed to be the people of God. Well, it didn't work out well for anyone. And there, amidst the ruins of Solomon's temple and the city of Jerusalem, he writes the lamentation. He says, God speaking through him, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not uncovered your iniquity, but have envisioned for you false prophecies and delusions. They have suppressed the truth intentionally. They didn't like the truth Jeremiah was preaching. And so they tried to kill him, arrest him, get rid of him any kind of way they could. This helps explain dirty politicians, dirty lawyers, dirty journalists, dirty pastors, people who are keeping down, don't want to tell you that there is a wrath of God and you need to avoid it. They're afraid you might not like that. So I'm talking about the, the pastors in the pulpit that suppress the truth of God. The church is supposed to be the pillar and the ground of truth. Anyway, there are times, however, when kindness is wiser than truth. 
when the truth is not, when truth can be suppressed, but not unrighteously. There are times, for example, someone, maybe someone's on their deathbed, and there's been a tragedy in the family. Well, do you want to go in there and say, hey, by the way, you just, we're not going to tell that. There's no need. It's not going to help anything. It's going to make matters worse. That is not suppressing it in unrighteousness. That is a righteous and wise uh, usage of of facts and truth and things that go on. You're, you're not trying to deceive. You're, you're looking to shield. Uh, there are things that children, questions that children may ask, and it's not time for them to learn these things. You're not suppressing it in unrighteousness. It's just not, they're not ready for this. So uh, anyway, coming now back to this, I love that, uh, that segment, though, before we move to verse 19, that there are those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They're up to no good. And the mainstream media, is they, they practice this as though it was one of the Ten Commandments. Thou says, you know, thus says the Lord, don't tell the truth, lie to people. Their God may t- say that. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Paul is taking away excuses. He says, I've dealt with these guys before. I know who these boys are. I've tried to preach the gospel to people, and they come up with all these, well, how do we know God exists? And they have heard it all. And they're guilty. They have no excuse. They cannot answer the questions that they are faced when the righteous begin to lay it out to them. Yes, nature is a revelation of God's existence and his creativity. But not much more than that. Uh, And nature, incidentally, is damaged. I mean, when you look at, you know, a beautiful landscape or whatever you're looking at, we're living in a fallen world. It's not what God created it to be. It has suffered injury. And the same thing with other people. When you engage other people, you're not looking at what God created and put there in Eden. You're looking at what survived the train wreck in Eden. And thus, God encounters us, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. You're all messed up, but there's more to the story. Uh, there, There is still work to do. I can still use you. I can still love you. I can still bring you into the heaven where I am. And it says here in verse 19, because what may be known of God says to us, God can be known. Now, not with exhaustive knowledge. There will always be things about God to discover, but he is knowable. Evidence of the creator is inescapable, though widely denied. Well, I can't force people to stop being dumb. And I don't appreciate it when they try to stop me from being dumb either. That is a joke. And if you weren't dumb, you would have got it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Insult the congregation. Well, the prophets did all the time. But they had guilty congregations. Anyway, you know, I, I, I don't believe someone can look at creation and be that dumb to say there is no God or just kind of just fit all together. But I do believe they can be that dishonest. I have no doubt that they can lie to themselves and smugly boast about it. Because we've encountered these types. The wrath of God is upon them. It doesn't, it's not free. 
To, to mock God is pricey. Or it's a price you can't pay. And you think about with the invention of the electron microscope and all that that has revealed to us about just the complexities, the you know molecular complexities. Just taking a single cell, you understand that Darwin was a dupe. He was fooled. He's wrong. And Darwinism, it's a fancy word for evolution, is dishonest. Uh, it's, and we shouldn't stand for it. You know, I think when someone says, well, I believe in evolution, we should find to say to that person, I'm not going to stand for that. All creation points to a creator. There's nothing in creation that says, well, these things just by, happen by chance. Well, then I should be able to reach in my pocket and pull out a little moon. <laughs> so it just happened. Hey, 50 bucks, look at that. This is, it's, a, it's a law that is defied by reality, and yet you have otherwise intelligent people embrace it because the alternative to them is to believe in the God of the Bible, and they'll have none of that. Well, the wrath of God is upon you for that. Don't let them get away without um, understanding there is a judgment to come. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, the, of knowledge. And that type of fear that Solomon is pointing to is not mere reverence. It's the understanding that he holds the keys to your eternity. And he gives you a chance to choose which key to use to unlock the kingdom of heaven or the gates of hell. Up to you. So I think you've got to be pretty stubborn to reject God and say it all happened by chance. Uh, he says here, it's is manifest in them. In other words, they know better. Ecclesiastes 3.11, He has put eternity in their hearts. God has programmed man to receive him, to receive him. But man can opt out. Man is built to receive God, but sin adversely modifies the design to their own harm. Raw paganism bows to graven images. But there's another kind of paganism. There's refined paganism. And that one bows to the imagination. That's all it needs. You've got one that will make a figurine and bow to it, and you make sacrifices to it, and you have another one that's too sophisticated for that. I just make up God in my head. For God has shown it to them. Well, to be able to suppress the truth, one has to be exposed to what they're suppressing. And this is what goes on. Ergo, God has shown it to them. Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Well, try to get a believer to believe that, and you'll run into this line. Well, I don't believe the Bible because men wrote it. Well, I don't believe you because you said it. How about that? <laughs> we want to continue with that logic. And let's give. Well, see, so what are you saying to me? God has no right to talk to his people, to people who love him, he has no right to have them write things down? Well, what is an alternative to that? What would you like? A handwriting in the sky every morning? Everybody should get one of that? One of those? Every generation? Every person? God says, I'm just going to have it written down, and then I'll preserve it. And then I'll dare you to try to disprove it. Well, it's better not to fight against God. It's a match you cannot win. And, uh, you know, it, is, it, it should irritate us a little bit that Satan gets away with blinding people with these false arguments. 
I was talking to a pastor friend of mine yesterday, and we are just talking about where is the burden in Christians for lost souls? When you say, I want to find a church, why? Why do you want to find a church? What does that involve? What is that for? Well, I want to be able to worship. Why? What does worship mean? Is there any outcome to this, or is it just taking in? You're just going to sing songs and hear a clever little sermon and then march on down your business? Or are you going to be burdened by the things you've heard? Because when you come to church, you should want to hear from God. When I open my Bible, I want to hear from God. And I always do. I don't always care for it, but I always do. My, my flesh does not. My spirit does. You say, oh, what? what could possibly be wrong? Well, how about forgiving your enemies? My flesh doesn't say, yeah. My flesh is the opposite of that. But the spiritual man knows better. What would happen if Christians were given a license to kill? We'd be Islam. And that's not an insult. That is a fact. And if they disputed that, they would be lying to your face. Well, coming back to this, because we've got one of my challenges. Well, what did I say to my pastor friend? That's what I was talking about. Does anybody know? Well, I was telling him, you know, where's the burden of Christians? It's there. There are Christians that are burdened for lost souls. But if I remember back in the 80s, there seemed to be a lot more of them. Maybe I'm a little removed because I'm in a pastoral position now, and I'm not so much in the trenches. But it is a challenge to us all. We want to save souls and not just raise our children to believe in Christ. There are more people going to hell than those found under our rooftop. And we may be their last stop for hell, before hell. And I want to be ready. I want to be ready not only when Jesus comes, but until he comes. I want to be ready. What is the alternative to these things? Well, Paul says they're without excuse. Verse 20, coming back to this, keep not losing sight of it, because he wants to reach souls too. That's the purpose of having a strong church. And I want to add one other thing to that. No one comes to church by accident. No one comes to God's house by chance. Without exception, every single time, it is a work of God. No man can come to me unless the Spirit draws him. The righteous come because they know this is what God wants. There may be variations in how he gets us here, but when people come to church, even against their will, God is a part of it. A righteous church. No good gifts. Or reverse that. All good gifts come from the Father. And if an unbeliever comes to the church, because God wants them in the kingdom. And I think it helps to know that when he says he's sovereign, he means it. When he says that he's desiring that all would be saved, he's very serious about that. He's got this thing for understatement from our perspective. Why should God, you know, when he says yes or no, he, he's not going to insist this. He just says no or yes. He may add, verily, verily, I say to you, in case you're a little slow to understand what I'm about to say to you. Well, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, verse 20, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
I don't care what's happened to you in your life. There's no excuse to say, well, I'm not going to follow God. That is cutting off your nose to spite your face. What you're saying is, I'm not going to give him the satisfaction of my worship because he didn't allow this or he did that or that. Yeah, 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 yeah. God is saying, listen, compared to eternity, the little lifetime you have here is nothing. You better pack your bags for eternity because that's where you're going. Now, which eternity will you have? The one where you cut your nose off to spite your face or the one that is glorious with the streets of gold and transparent. Mm-hmm. Nothing in heaven has to be hidden because there's nothing there that's dirty. You know, in company, what, what would happen if people invited you over and you got to the house and said, can I look in your closet? I just want to see what you stuffed in there because you know I would. Okay, never mind. <laughs> just transparency. <laughs> Anyhow, um, back to this. For since creation, verse 24, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. They're understood and they're understandable. Jeremiah, again, chapter 10, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We know we need God. And we know since creation, He is available. Paul talked about this in Acts chapter 14, but I need to start skipping over some of these verses because we just won't get to the end. There's so many things in the Scripture that supports all that Paul is saying. No one can say, well, that was just Paul's view. Well, this is God's view. And Paul is just a vehicle God used to express it. But since God made attributes of God discernible should we not avail ourselves because it takes away excuses of rejecting him we the saved we know that how do we tell that to the unbeliever how do we get the unbeliever to know that they're they're wasting their life away with whatever it is that's blocking them from their creator Psalm 97 verse 6 the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people's See his glory. Now, whether they submit to it is another question. But how does heaven declare his righteousness? Well, God could have just created the heavens and had, uh, you know, uh, meteor showers take out people every five days or something. But the fact that there's so much order in the universe that each thing knows its place and it stays there. Well, overall, sometimes there's a rogue wave that will hit a ship and take it out. But in the grand scheme of things, there is order in creation. The mathematics alone should make people understand that someone's figured this out. Because there's a lot of math involved in holding things together. Just in dieting, there are laws, there's the numbers that have everything to do. You can prove this, just go eat 50 Twinkies. And see what happens to you. Other than just going this way, you're going to have other problems. Anyway, uh, who else can possibly be credited with the heavens? Who do we blame for the defectiveness in creation? These questions are worth asking, but a lot of people don't want to face these questions. They'd rather hide from, from them. From them. And the answers are in the revelation of God. Self-evident truths. 
being understood, it says here in verse 20, by the things that are made. Well, that the one word in our English, in the New King James, things that are made, four words, is a single word in the original Greek that the scripture was written in. And that English, the Greek word is poema, which we, we get our English word poetry from. So it's creativity of God. The interesting thing is what we have are people who are very interested in the pottery. They just don't care spit about the potter. That's the world against God. His creation is the pottery. But what about the potter? Well, we don't want to know about him. He might have too much power for us. He might want us to change our lifestyle. He might condemn the way I live, the way I think, the way I treat other people, the way I treat him. And so we'd rather not know about those things. And Satan, aware of this, wants to, of course, silence, suppress the truth, silence the word of God. Uh, even his eternal power. Well, God's power tells us right there that it is endless, it is eternal, and the Godhead, the state of being God, so that they are without excuse. Well, since man has the capacity enough to grasp truths concerning God, but will not take hold of them, uh, he is without excuse. Um, anyway, John chapter 6, going back to God being very involved with people so that they are without excuse. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. I believe every word of that. When I'm in front of an unbeliever and God does not open the door, I can't open it. I can try and, and damage it, or I can just say, well, this one, I'll have to wait. But when God puts me in front of somebody that I can share the gospel with, I know it is the Father drawing that person. It is Jesus Christ that is there with me. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. I am not alone. I am not unarmed. I am ready for this. For This is why I'm still here on earth. Otherwise... Get a born-again Christian, uh, get a person born again, then take him to heaven so he doesn't have to live through this stuff. But we do have to live through this because we have work to do. And uh, the fact that God draws them does not guarantee that they're going to be saved. That still comes down to them. Uh, I don't care who tells you otherwise. You, everyone has a choice. Uh, very, otherwise, it's all a mockery. When God says, believe in me, well, why bother? Murray chose. I'm not trying to strike out against things, although I am a little irritated just at the concept that, that, you know. Isn't it true that when someone's doing what you think is wrong, to see them get away with it is irritating? I, I don't want the police to catch me when I'm going over the speed limit, but when the other guy passes me, I hope he goes to jail. <laughs> take it, you know, just take out his driver's license and shoot it right there. That's... You know, we have the, uh, maybe one of you are just very nice. Well, you got other problems. You're just not hitting them. <laughs> Verse 21, because although they knew God, and you can see he keeps hitting this. They don't have an excuse. They knew God. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Yeah. Oh, Mother Nature. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's no Mother Nature. There's God. Yeah. And there's a nature to things. But that is just a description of what has been created. Don't, don't take what is his. They did not glorify him as God. 
Well, let's consider a few people where it says, because although they knew God, they didn't know him. Cain, who killed his brother. Pharaohs, who killed the Jews. Uh, Balaam, who told how to kill the Jews. Judas Iscariot. And then Satan himself. These had knowledge of God, but a ruined relationship with him by their own choosing. Paul even makes this subtle distinction because it's, it's really subtle if you miss it in the sense that he doesn't hammer it. But it is there, Galatians 4.9. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, you have this relationship. Not enough to be familiar with the things God says. You've got to make the move into the friendship because it's there to be had. And what do you say when you die? Yeah, I know you extended me the hand of friendship and I turned it down. I had a better way. Well, that, that's going to be bad for you to do that. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that Yahweh, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. Where would the psalmist get that from? Where does that kind of information come from? Is it science? No. Is it philosophy? No. It is scripture. It is revelation. It is God manifesting this. He got it from Genesis chapter 1. That's where he got it from. Now, that doesn't speak ill of science or certain philosophies, but the fact is science is not going to reveal the character of God. Not enough of it. It'll tell you he's creative, as I mentioned. It is omnipotent. But it's not going to tell you what really irritates him. And it's not going to tell you what he loves and that he is loving. In fact, it could actually work uh, to, to make a person resent God if that's all they have. They did not glorify him as God. And again, we've met people on this toboggan slide into idolatry. The devolution of man, not the evolution of man, man devolving and trading God-given intelligence for godless intellect. Happens all the time. They're very smug about it. How are we going to help them? How do we reach them? Who do, every Christian should have unbelievers that they're praying for. And they should be, be praying for them at least once every day. Uh, you, you know, kind of get your head in the game. What is my purpose in life? To be used by God until he uses you up. That's your purpose in life. And how do I know the details about that? Well, that's why we have the scripture. How a man should live. How we are to go about this existence in the face of so many setbacks and pain. What about, you know, when you're just a broken heart? Or just, you know, a victim of meanness and hurt feelings. What do you do with all these things? Sometimes you can't just turn the switch off. You can't make people love you or like you. What do you do with this, this what do you call it, like a, a goulash of bad things? You persevere. And you get ready to persevere. And I know for me, when, I'm, when I get any of those hits, you know... And, and as a pastor, you get a lot of them that you would not have otherwise had. You have to figure out a way to make these things work for the kingdom. You have to be able to see, okay, I see what Satan wants to do with this. Satan wants me in a full retreat. I'm not retreating. I don't have to. I'll stay the course. I know what I love about the scripture. 
I know what I love about God's word. It's up, it's up to me to try to live it out. Well, um, again, back to this. Who will stand between a holy God and sinful man? Who will bridge that gap? The glories of nature is not going to do that. Nothing in nature recovers man from sin. No instances of people looking at nature and knowing about Jesus Christ. I mean, you can, if you know him already, it certainly helps. Adds other, boy, the Lord made this, you know, Jesus said, consider Solomon in all his glory. And I say to you, the, the lilies, speaking of the lilies of the field, not one of uh, uh, Solomon was not arrayed such as one of these. And so, yeah, there is the glory of God there. But still, there has to be the point. First Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God. The Trinity is one God. It's not three separate gods. Three persons distinct in one nature. And the best I can do for you to illustrate this is a triangle with three distinct corners but one triangle. And so we don't have three different gods. One God. So he continues, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, the humanity. That's what he's saying. The one, the God who became human, Jesus Christ, crystal clear, no one else. You go to Mary to try to get your sins forgiven and you will be dead in your sins. She has no power, nor would she want it. I'm telling you, if Mary knew people were praying to her, she'd smack them upside their head. That she, I mean, there's no way she'd put up with that kind of stuff. That's idolatry. And you say, well, that offends people. What about God? What offends him? I think it offends him when his son dies for us. And you say, well, there's another way. I can go to, I'll go to his mother. You misunderstand. When Jesus said, woman, not mother. What does that have to do with me? He was disconnecting her authority over him. Not disrespectfully. He's making it clear. Well, professing to be wise, they became fools by factoring God out. Isaiah said it this way. I'm glad we have two hours left. Phew, man, I was worried. <laughs> Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. You ever catch yourself patting yourself on the back? I mean, it's like you've got to spit that out real quick. I mean, it might taste good, but it's poison. Uh, may we not. May we be able to spit it out. Now, when, if ever I get to preach and I'm, I say, boy, I did a good job. I don't mean from heaven's or yours perspective. I mean I made my points. I, I, I made points when I prepare. And, I, and it's, it's a joy in doing that. But that does not mean that, boy, you're pretty good. You should call them all back in here again for a second dose. It's nothing like that. They became fools. We're the smart ones. Spiritually speaking. Now, the English word here for fools is where we get, well, the Greek word used here for fools is where we get our English word moron. I'm not being sarcastic, although I wouldn't mind. But, but it, you know, it, it's stupid. It is senseless. So seeking to be wise, they became morons from a spiritual perspective. 
And one reason why is they, they, they hate to hear this is because they can be very successful in life. You can be a heart surgeon. So I've saved you know, 50 people in the last year because of me. You did not. You did not, unless you preach the gospel to them, the most you could do is prolong their life. But you could not keep them here on earth in forever. They're still going to die and they're still going to face God. There's more to the story than whatever achievements we make in this world with the things of this world. The Greek does not bypass the English. It just zooms in a little closer with the details. And so it's not merely someone who is senseless or ignorant as used here. It means they're fooled by Satan, by self, by society, by any one of those three, all of those three, any combination. And so if Satan is allowed to write scripture of his own in books against God, false scripture, then is not God, does he not have the right to write scripture also? Verse 23, and change the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible men, man, the birds, the four-footed animals, and creeping things. First on the list is man himself deifying himself. Fulfilling Satan's word to Eve, you'll be like God. And here we see them acting that way. Psalm 106, verse 20, Thus they change the glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. Just one of many. Self-impressed creatures creating the Creator can never make God. It is not the evolution of man. Man devolves by doing that. Uh, So... Down it slides into birds and beasts and bugs and creeping things. Uh, The demonic influence behind false religion. We don't have time. I can just give you the addresses in case you'd like to know them. Leviticus 17.7. 2 Chronicles 11.15. Psalm 106 verses 35 to 38. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 20. And all those verses... False religions are said to come from demons. That was true then. It is true now. So, do people who ignore God tend to ignore Satan too? Isn't that an interesting question for the guy in the workplace? Okay, you're not into God. Do you ignore Satan too? And they probably do. And as a result, they don't understand. The wrath of God is upon them because of the work of the devil. You just want to kind of be in that neutral zone, don't you? It doesn't exist. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. Well, we've come to the 24th verse. And I really wanted to get out of this chapter. This has happened before. (laughs) And I think it would be, let's a show of hands. Who wants to stay another hour? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the kids ministry, man. They flattened my tires once. I'm not giving them that chance. No, they have not. They're courageous to be back there. Uh, We put the emphasis here on the Word of God, but not at the expense of abusing our servants. And so that dictates the pace many times. Uh, If that can happen when we have pets, pets, you know, I got to get home, I got to feed my animal, I got to let them out. They dictate a rhythm by that. Well, how much more for our servants, the sheep of God, to say, you know, they're back there and they're probably like at their last nerve at this point. Some of them might be otherwise anyway. 
it's just our way of saying we love you. And we're not uh, unmindful. Well, we're going to pick up next chapter. We'll continue with this damage report because he's going to unleash on them. And if you're not a believer, I hope you're here last week. So the truth can punish you into salvation. <laughs> the, the, the Puritans would say, sick the hounds of heaven on them. The goal was not to devour them, but to chase them away from Satan into the arms of God. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for giving me a heads up and telling me you're probably not going to make it through that chapter. <laughs> I thank you that it's all your word. It doesn't matter what part you pick up. There you are. And it is effective for salvation. If you have not opened your heart to Christ, understand it is the God of creation reaching out to you to respond to the one who died in your place, to take your punishment upon himself, that you could be free. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. But it's through the cross, through coming to Christ and admitting that you are a sinner. You fail to meet the criteria. And you fail miserably. And there's only one solution. If you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have to do as all the Christians before you have done. You have to verbalize it. Confession is made with the mouth. It comes from the heart. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. I have lived contrary to you. I ask you to forgive me. I come to you because there's no one else good enough, loving enough, and strong enough to die in my place and rise again and sit at the right hand of God the Father. I give my life to you right here and right now and from this day forward. I ask that you would count me among the saved. That when the saints do march in, I'll be in that number. I ask you to be from this day forward. The one who is my Savior and the one who rules over my life, the one who puts everything in its proper place, the painful things, the joyful things, the eternal things. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they not be shy about it. May they make their confession known with boldness. We commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.